Good luck. podcast where we take a hard look at the element that makes or breaks games and music i'm peter thomas and i'm joined by my co-host cody haltam and we are happy to have you along with us on our journey through Star Fox. what's going on cody hey buddy how are you i'm good man i want to start this off by saying it's about time you showed up cody have you checked your g diffuser <laughs> i actually because of this game and picking it back up again i was thinking what the hell is a g diffuser did you ever figure out what that was I'm kind of jumping games here. It's actually, they mentioned this in Star Fox 64. They yep. don't really talk too much about the parts of the R-Wing, but I, I imagine G stands for gravity. Uh, so maybe Good it's job. a gravity diffuser. Yeah, yeah, that's a, exactly what it is. According to like a wiki or something that I read in my notes for this, uh, apparently it's a finicky little thing that powers like the shields and whenever it, goes bad or something like that it basically takes all of the pilots like attention to try and fix it but yeah it's just a finicky little doohickey and i will never say that sentence again oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that was the most southern thing i think i've ever heard you say a finicky little doohickey (laughs) let's just go ahead and scrap that whole conversation (laughs) so we're here to talk about star fox and i have to admit whenever it comes to games i know We know you through all these episodes as kind of the Donkey Kong guy, but for whatever reason in my head, anytime I think of Star Fox, I think of you like to me, Star Fox and you are kind of the one-to-one Donkey Kong still is there, but not as much as Star Fox for some reason. And I don't know why Star Fox, we'll get into it later, but Star Fox is a deeply personal game to me. And I think the reason why you in particular might have that connection is you and I are friends on Nintendo's online service, whatever we want to call it. And my profile picture is the R wing. So that might have something Mm. to do with it. It's an R wing instead of a Donkey Kong. Got it. Maybe that's what it is. I've just been subconsciously absorbing that in. And this whole time I've, I've just been likening the two together or whatever. Yeah, if I had to pick, I mean, we are covering Star Fox, the original for obvious reasons, but man, Star Fox 64, that was an adventure that I can't wait to talk about later. Yeah, the Star Fox games in general, I don't think get enough love from Nintendo. And when they do, they don't really do all that well as far as the buzz and the hype around it, right? Everybody talks about Zeldas, everybody's you know, talks about the Metroids and things like that. But Star Fox kind of sits on its own little tier. And there's a niche of us that are just all drooling at the mouth when we see a new game. We're always just waiting for the next one. I think there's a reason for that, though. And this is the kind of conversation you and I like having. I think one of the reasons why, at least for me, is because I'm not going to say that they ruined it, but they changed what the formula of Star Fox was, which they have every right to do. 
I'm looking at, you know, like Star Fox Adventures and those types of games, which I never owned or played, I don't think. But just the premise and the idea of them, that was not what Star Fox was. Star Fox was this game. It was Star Fox 64, picking which course you're going to take, finding the shortcuts and going through and killing Andros. So for me, if that's not really what I'm doing, then personally, I don't want to play it. I love Star Fox and Star Fox 64, but I think they just might have tweaked it a bit too much to kind of lose some of its player base. I think you're right. There's something that I've found in the Star Fox franchise that took me for a bit of a loop, which was the fact that the games that I play that have nods or homages to Star Fox feel more like Star Fox games than the Star Fox franchise itself. I played Bayonetta 2, which had a whole chapter and a half, maybe two chapters, dedicated to Bayonetta dressing up like a R-wing pilot, and she, her feet were like little oh, yeah. R-wings that could shoot blasters, and that felt like a Star Fox game. And then there was, oh hell, what was that game I just played not too long? It's that space one that was made by Ubisoft and you could interchange the different weapons on the ships. Oh, I know the one you're talking about. Something, but I don't know the something game. Battle for Atlas. I can't remember the main title. Didn't they include an R-Wing as like a promotional thing? Because you actually could use an R-Wing? Yeah. So that was what I was getting at was that if you bought the Nintendo Switch version, it came with, and it was the only version that you can get. It came with Fox McCloud as a pilot because you could actually change your pilots with different skills. And then it came with the R-Wing figure that you could use. And I was playing through that game and I only used Cloud and I only used the R-Wing as long as it wasn't destroyed. I felt like that felt more like a Star Fox game. You know, obviously different mechanics because it is a different game altogether, but still felt so much more like a Star Fox game than some of the more recent titles did. I remember seeing that at E3 at some point and I was like, huh, I'm about to buy a Bayonetta game. But ultimately I didn't because as much as I wanted that traditional Star Fox experience, mm -hmm. Bayonetta just isn't a franchise for me. I, I've never played it. I've never really had interest. The most I've played of quote unquote Bayonetta is playing as Bayonetta in Smash Brothers. You know, she was my go-to for a little bit when I didn't know what I was doing and turns out still don't. But it's weird that they won't just go back to it. And I'm hoping they will. In the year that we're getting Pokemon Snapback, you would think that some of these other franchises that Nintendo has left alone for a bit, maybe they can go back to them and re-examine what made these games as great as they are. By the way, it came to me while you were talking. It was called Starlink. Starlink That's Battle it. for Atlas. I, I knew it was close, but I was like, I can't. I don't want to say it's Star something. But it was, yeah. Starlink Battle for Atlas was what it was called. Going off what you were saying, I feel like the last one that I really liked, even though critics ripped it apart, was Star Fox Assault. That was a step in the right direction, just kind of executed poorly. But the idea of being able to go from on foot Fox McCloud traversing a different area to getting to the end and then jumping in your R-Wing or 
the landmaster, what have you, doing whatever other part of the mission there is, if they can nail that formula down and make it a really solid title, that would be the perfect direction ahead. Question about that, because I remember seeing that maybe playing it. I might actually own it and I just forgot. Was that like not open world, but like open area? Yeah, uh, fairly. I mean, we are talking about the GameCube, so <laughs> right. as, as open area as it could be on that. But yeah, and they gave you the freedom to at any point in time, just jump in your R-Wing, which I thought was really cool. So an area that you were traversing on foot, if you just decided, hey, I have to run back to the beginning because I thought I forgot something, pop in your R-Wing, go fly back and check it out. See, and... Again, that was a system that was hindered by the power that it have, or in this mm-hmm. case, didn't have it. So it was limited for back then. You're right. Obviously, they can't do open world, but I was thinking kind of like uh, the, uh, God, what is the Star Fox 64 level one with a pyramid? Oh, your guess is as good as mine. Okay, then never mind. But kind of like that, just, yeah, it's an overworld a bigger Mm -hmm. sandbox than that. Something that occurred to me while you were talking, we're talking about size and that kind of stuff. Think about it today. We have games like no man's sky out there, which is similar to star Fox yet very, very different. But I mean, could you imagine like, since we have a game like that, a star Fox with similar technology, that would be, I would be all over that. Like people are telling me to play no man's sky. And I'm like, man, I really don't want to. You give me an R-Wing in that thing, I will be there every day playing that game. Yeah, there's a lot more potential now than there ever was for Star Fox to be big. And we know that Nintendo can do it. They took The Legend of Zelda and made it massive. So it's possible, and I know it's possible for them to do it. I just, I wish that they would. They don't even need to make it that big, you know? Just something that would let us know that the franchise is still alive in their hearts. If they didn't, I would love one studio that I've been wanting them to do Star Fox is a retro studios. They're the people who did for those who don't know, Peter obviously just picked up on that reference. They did Donkey Kong country, uh, tropical freeze and Donkey Kong country return, both of which are amazing, amazing, amazing games. And they, they are a studio that really, loves the source material you give them this you know a star fox oh my god they would be able to knock it out of the park don't forget they did the prime series as well yeah and they're still working on it whenever we're going to hear a metroid prime 4 update at some point right yeah that's definitely a good studio to pick that up and i think would do the franchise well they've touched two of Nintendo's major franchises and they knocked it out of the park. So there's no doubt in my mind that if they were like, here's, here's Star Fox, make something amazing with it. Retro could definitely do that. Yeah. And earlier when you were talking about getting out of the Landmaster and that kind of thing, did that feel good? Cause like when I think of Star Fox, I don't think about Fox like running around or anything like that. It did in the sense of that particular game. I think of the environment requires it to be as such, then yes, I think it works. In that particular game, there was a great mix of 
going on foot and traveling in kind of like an adventure sort of way. And then when you were either going to your next area or fighting like a major boss or something, you jumped in your ship because obviously Fox's blaster is not going to do crap to a 50 ton, you know, war machine. No, obviously not. I was just curious about that because there's a, there's a line there where, and this is going to sound like it's a slam against it, but it's honestly not, but where it can almost go to Star Wars in a way where all of a sudden, you know, we're running on these ground missions, then we're up in the big space battles, that kind of stuff. I wouldn't want it to go too much in that direction, but that's just me being an overly critical fan, you know? The funny thing about you saying that is that I actually talk about that a little bit when we get into our tracks. <laughs> oh, excellent. All right, cool. Yeah. Let's roll into the history and then we'll talk a little bit about our personal memories with this game. Star Fox, released as Starwing in PAL territories, is a 1993 rail shooter video game co-developed by Nintendo EAD and Argonaut Software and published by Nintendo for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. The first game in the Star Fox series, Star Fox follows Fox McCloud and the rest of the Star Fox team defending their homeworld of Corneria against the attacking forces of Andros. It ultimately sold over 4 million copies. Star Fox was Nintendo's first game to use polygonal graphics. It accomplished this by being the first ever game to use the SuperFX graphics acceleration coprocessor-powered GSU-1. The complex display of three-dimensional models with polygons was still new and uncommon in console video games, and the game received positive reviews upon release. The main game design was done by Shigeru Miyamoto and Katsuya Iguchi. Characters were designed by Takaya Imamura, and the music was composed by Hajime Hirasawa. That is where my history ends, but I found out after beating the game recently that Koji Kondo did have his hands in this as well. He is credited for the sound effects in the game, but I'm sure that he probably had some oversight with the music as well. A lot of interesting and new things here. So first, we should probably talk about the biggest thing, the Super FX chip, right? Yeah. That's the bread and butter of what makes Star Fox Star Fox. I've seen a lot of interviews and a lot of talk with old members from the Argonaut Software group. And they basically said that, you know, when they were developing this chip, they went as far as to say that this chip was developed for the SNES in the fact that they basically were trying to say that the SNES was just the box to hold the Super FX chip. That's how powerful and important it was to what it did for games. Would you agree with something like that? Yeah, I would. I don't know the history of the chip as well as you do. Star Fox is, I want to say, probably one of the, if not the biggest game that actually utilizes that chip. Top of my head, I can think of one other title for sure that uses it, and it's very, very little. Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island uses it. Oh, wow. Yeah. What else uses it? Stunt Race FX also uses it, which is probably evident in that graphical style. Those are the ones I can think of immediately. I'm sure there's probably a few more. Yeah, but I, I never would have pegged Yoshi's Island. I own that game. Here's something that I remember is the cart, right? That just had that big VFX 
logo on it. And every game that had that chip had to have that logo announcing, hey, this is a VFX game. I don't remember Yoshi's Island having that. Huh, that's really weird. I'm going to have to go back and take a look. This was really Nintendo's start into 3D. It was an interesting time because if you look at the game now, and even back then, I mean, it's a bunch of blocks and a bunch of triangles. But man, playing that game, flying through Corneria, those were buildings to me. Those were skyscrapers that I was flying around in through. There was a lot of imagination, but it's just something that personally I always did. And it was a super wild experience just to see on my Super Nintendo. Yeah, there was a lot of new things to discover as a kid picking up this game and seeing how much differently this played compared to every other game I had been playing up until this point. We're in a 3D space. We're moving around. Well, it's not true 3D, but it's, how do I want to put it? Simulated 3D, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really know how to describe it because it's not really anything but just altering the way that your perspective is looking. It's almost like the game tricks your eyes into thinking that you're in a 3D space, but you're really not if you broke it down. So you've got this game that looks like it's dealing with a lot of 3D and obviously the shapes and everything are built in 3D. So you see all that, but there was so much detail put into this from The fact that, you know, when you fly too close to something, it makes that whooshing noise or the fact that if you bounce your wings off of certain things too much, your wings break off. Things like that were just it added a lot more realism to really immerse you into the fact that this was a an airship. This was a you were the pilot of a very delicate aircraft and doing things like that would cause issues. Yeah, not only would your wing fall off, but then the R wing would be a real pain to fly. You know, your steering went to absolute shit. And as a result, like so did your shooting because you can't aim as well. I do think that it's only in the 64 version where you can lose both wings, which is kind of a blessing. Me personally, if I lost one wing, I would immediately try to get rid of the other just because it stabilizes it a little bit. But yeah, the sound, whenever you would hit something or run into it, it wasn't subtle either. And it shouldn't have been because, again, this is a giant jet that you're running into other metal buildings. But it was always jarringly loud whenever you either got hit or ran into something. Yeah. Just to note, you could lose both your wings in the SNES version. But it was the same repercussions. So you lose one wing and you were just really off balance. Your R wing kind of fluctuated in the air, but still maintained its height. Oh, Um, that's right. Yeah. If you lost both wings, though, it sunk like a brick. Yeah, I played it a little bit recently and I put a tweet out because it was funny as hell. It was right when you're going to go fight Andros and you're about to go down into the tube. I had zero lives. Uh, sliver of hell, <laughs> and I had one wing, and I was like, "This is going to end predictably." <laughs> and sure enough, I didn't even make it down the hallway because of my wing. But I had only remembered losing one. But now that you bring it up, I remember playing as a kid in first-person mode and having like the two red arrows on either side, indicating I had lost both. So I had just remembered that incorrectly. 
So Cody, tell me a little bit about your history with the game. Maybe your history will tell me a little bit more about why I think of you whenever I think of this game. I still think that's so funny because I'm about to tell you a story and everyone else that's listening because this is a deeply personal game for me. And Peter didn't know this before we put it on the list or even decide to do this. Being a lifelong gamer means that I have a ton of gaming memories, but this is by far my favorite. I think this was a Christmas present one year, but I couldn't tell you when. I remember I was in fourth grade, though. I absolutely loved this game, but man, it was hard as a kid. So I did what most kids did, and I went to my parents and tried to get them to help me beat it. My dad sat down with me to help me play this game, and he fell in love with it. He's the only person I know to beat the arcade game Galaga, and this is basically 3D Galaga. We would spend hours playing this game together. We had one room in our house that was the quote-unquote video game room, and that's where my sister and I would play our games. And then we had, obviously, the living room where my parents would watch TV. On certain nights, rare occasions, after my sister would go to bed, my dad would bring the Super Nintendo into the living room, hook it up to the bigger and obviously nicer TV. We would play this game together with all the lights off and pretend we were in space, which is cute and adorable to me, even as an adult, like looking back at it. That's super uh, adorable. Think, <laughs> isn't it though? I think we only beat it once and I'm pretty sure he was the one who actually beat it and not me. It, it was just a simple little thing that we would do, but it was also something that was so extremely special. So yeah, this is my favorite gaming memory is just playing this game with my dad. Those memories are always really fun for me. Any of those games where I've sat down with my parents and they were able to enjoy something with me, something that I was very passionate about at that time. I, I cherish those memories as much as I can because they were few and far between and it didn't take long for them to start saying, hey, you need to not be into games as much anymore. You need to grow up. And here I am, 33 and still playing video games. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> No, I mean, it, it was always so much fun because being a gamer and a young gamer, this was everything. Video games were everything. So my parents would always like sit down, you know, kind of like you were talking about with Donkey Kong where you would do the couch co-op. We would do some of that, but neither one of my parents really got into gaming like as much as I had. So when dad and I would play this, I mean, we would play the heck out of it. And I remember being, like I said, in fourth grade and I would draw him uh, pictures of like the bosses, especially the boss in the asteroid belt. That one sticks out. I remember that like it was yesterday and with little encouraging messages saying like, we can beat it, you know, just being a cute little kid and that kind of thing. Uh, Star Fox definitely holds a place in my heart. That's my overly sappy explanation as to why I like this game. But why don't you tell me a bit about your history? Yeah, I wish I had some fun story or anecdote to share about how I got this or how we played it or anything like that. But I don't actually remember how I ended up coming across this. I imagine that it was a holiday gift of some sort, but the only thing I know is that I know I own the game and that's pretty much it. My brother and I would actually play the ever living heck out of this game because we were 
blown away by it. It was just such a remarkable game. And like I said, something very different than what you would see in most SNES titles up to really any SNES title at that point. Do you remember, Cody, the days when frame rate didn't matter and when being on rails didn't matter and when how many polygons were used to make an object on screen didn't matter? I do, but in my defense, though, I do kind of like rails, okay? (laughs) Yeah, this is the epitome of the good old days to me. None of that stuff that we hear about today, things that everybody criticizes games for, it just didn't matter. And it didn't matter to me. And I love this game dearly because of it. All we knew was that this game was incredibly fun to play, had an outstanding cast of characters and a phenomenal soundtrack. I'm not sure about everybody else who's played this game, but as a kid, I probably took level one the most and only touched level two and three a little bit because they were really difficult. I actually, just between yesterday and today, I'd played through all three levels again and found that it was pretty much the same. I was thinking about it, and I do have one little anecdote. A buddy of mine back in the fifth grade, his name was Jason. We used to talk about games all the time, and he told me that when Peppy spoke, all of the characters spoke in like some weird kind of gibberish it was very strange but he said that peppy whenever you finished a mission it kind of sounded like he was saying let's play tiddlywinks and i've never been able to unhear it since no way really yeah so like everybody you know checks in at the end of the stage or whatever and tells you how they're doing and if peppy has full health it just goes wait 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 or something like that but it sounds like if you listen and it's a little bit of a stretch now, like I hear oh, it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I hear it now. And it's like, okay, that was probably a stretch, but it does kind of sound like it. Whenever you said that, I was thinking like Peppy has a good bit of dialogue. Grant, you know, everyone who's listening, like he, it's not English, like a text box does come up. But once you said end of level, I was like, I, Oh, I know that sound bite. And I was like, I can kind of hear it, but it, yeah, I'm going to say it's a stretch. Yeah, I mean, it is. Like, I listen to it now and I'm like, how the hell did we ever come up with that? We were kids, okay? And being a kid back then is way different than being a kid now. Kids now have like Game Pass, which is hundreds of games where we would get one game, maybe two, and they would have to last us for such a long time. So we would go through and obsessively dissect our games. I know I talked about my friends and I doing that with Donkey Kong. This is just another example of what we would do back then and the conversations we would have about this passion that we love. I'm going to chalk it up to say that it goes back to what you said earlier is that we had really great imaginations. You know, these giant cubes on this screen had absolutely Uh, no details at all. And yet we saw them and we were like, those are buildings for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's what you had to do, especially like with some of the enemy designs. One of them straight up looks like a kite. I don't know what that thing is. Oh you know, gosh. I just always called it the kite thing. Yeah, the giant centipede. There's all kinds of weird stuff that flies around space, apparently. Oh, yeah. It, which, oh, there's one that we're going to get to later, but we'll talk about that then. All right. Well, without further ado, I guess we can go ahead and kick off our music track. So, Cody, why don't you start us off with your number five? Uh, My music list kind of has a theme, but it doesn't really because it is such a personal game to me. A lot of my memories and the reasons why these tracks 
are on my list is because I have strong memories with them. So they're not all great tracks, but this is my list. So sorry, everyone, because this one in particular, not the best track. (laughs) This track is Boss Meteor. This track gives me serious PTSD. This boss was a giant spider-like thing. You had to shoot out all of its legs one by one while it fires lasers and energy beams at you. Once you shot out all of its legs, it would turn into a flying saucer with its legs outstretched and hurl itself at you in retaliation. This boss killed me more than any other in the game, and to this day, I don't know why it was so hard for me as a kid. Despite all of that, I honestly liked the music. This is one of the few boss tracks where I heard it and instantly remembered, oh, that asshole. I can't hear this track without hearing the metallic legs walking all over the place. This isn't the best boss music, and it's far from a great track, but this is my Thunderplanes. No matter how many times this thing killed me, I never got tired of the guitar that kept encouraging me to come back and try again. Yes, the good old Thunder Plains. They will forever haunt me. (laughs) That's like the only way I could defend it or equate it, where it's something that killed me over and over and over again. But it reminded me of what you had said in episode one, where you never minded the music. A lot of times that music would drive you crazy. And this track just doesn't. The boss does. I hate that guy. But the track, for whatever reason, never really got old. And I don't know why. I can't really defend it other than that. Yeah. When it comes to this soundtrack, or what I should say is when it comes to video game music in general, there's a reason why I crafted the intro to be what it is. Music can make or break a game. And The difference between a good track and a terrible track on a frustrating part of a game could be the reason why somebody just shuts it off and doesn't ever go back to it ever again. Star Trek, uh, Star Trek, (laughs) Star Fox is very much in that boat. I said it's a phenomenal soundtrack and I stand by that, but there are definitely tracks on here that I personally did not like. The boss themes, unfortunately, were those some of those tracks for me. They really didn't do anything for me particularly. I found that I was more focused on trying to stay alive and deal with whatever was going on. So, for example, in this particular boss, not only do those legs outstretch and he starts spinning like a Frisbee, he's firing a bunch of stuff at you and then occasionally will Frisbee himself up into your zone 
and try and just smack you eight or 10 times with his legs, which can yep. easily be a game over. The track itself is not bad. I just feel like the boss tracks were all kind of muted by the fact that these boss battles themselves were really epic. Outside of the ones that are duplicated, there's a couple of fights that you do no matter which path you take to get to Andros. There are a few that are repeated and you have to beat them the same way. But yeah, I just felt like most of them were very unique and offered a different way to fight them each and every time. Yeah, the bosses were interesting. I mean, they were easy, but they were hard. Like you always knew what to hit. It was just a matter of being able to hit them or survive them because I was just playing while I was sitting here waiting for us to talk about this. I was playing Star Fox on my Switch and I was playing Corneria, level one. The most basic of all the boss fights, shoot the thing on the right, shoot the two things on the left, and then just blow it up. That thing killed me twice. Mm -hmm. And I'm in my 30s and I've been playing this game ever since I was a kid. Why? And I'm like, the ship is firing other ships that are just kamikazeing into you on top of missiles and lasers and everything else. Some of these were brutal, brutal fights. And something else I wanted to note too about this track, and this is kind of a theme that I noticed about the entire soundtrack itself, is that the ones that don't sound like they belong in Star Fox, they often gave me vibes of something else. So this particular track actually sounds like something that fit more for F-Zero than it did for Star Fox. Did you hear that by any chance? Uh, no, I haven't played F-Zero. Oh my God, Cody, what the hell? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, man, but no, I haven't played F-Zero. <laughs> okay, I'm, you know what? We're doing that episode next because that is on the SNES online and you're going to play that damn game. <laughs> Oh, wait, it gets better because there's another one we're going to talk about later. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, we'll let that one go for now. But whenever I heard it, it was the vibe I got. It kind of sounds like, I don't know if it's like the same instrument set that they use from that sound chip or what it was, but it definitely sounded like it fit more for F-Zero than it did for Star Fox. I'm going to have to pick F-Zero up. I mean, I, I picked it up and dabbled because it is in the online and it is, I believe, on the SNES Mini. So I, I dabbled with it, but I wouldn't say I quote unquote played it, at least not like we did Star Fox as a kid. The equivalent of like renting it for a weekend and then not playing it again. I'll have to go back and take a look at it. Yeah, I was going to say you should because F-Zero unfortunately suffers the same fate as Star Fox where we haven't seen a new title in that for even longer, actually. Yeah, that, ooh. Yeah, that has been a minute because that was what, GameCube? Yep. Yeah, and... There's been other Star Fox stuff. So you know what? Nintendo, just bring it all back. Bring everything <laughs> back and we'll just keep giving you money. I mean, you learned that with Animal Crossing. Just give us what we want and we'll just hand you money hand over fist. That's right. All right, man. Talk to me about number five. I had to open with this particular song because while it's not the first track you hear in the game, it is one of the earliest that showcases just how great this soundtrack is and can be. My number five is Course Select. As I was sitting here thinking about what makes a track in this sound like it belongs on a space game, and the only thing I could come up with was the brass style instruments mixed with a very specific drum style, which is kind of the snares that sound like they belong in a marching band coupled with the heavy bass drum hits, you know, with the giant mallets. 
even though you don't get to hear this long, if you know exactly where you want to go or you're just kind of jamming through to get through the stages, it is worth listening through for at least a loop or two just for how well it's crafted. When I think of a mission briefing or something along those lines for a space odyssey or something like that, this is kind of the song that would flood my mind. March for sure. And I love that about this. So many of these tracks are almost military tracks, which is very fitting for this game and these characters. You nailed the drums, by the way. So good job on that front, because there is a difference between a normal snare and a marching snare. And this is definitely the latter. So Mm -hmm. nailed that. I like your mission briefing analogy. And that makes sense because this game is literally our map room. We are just deciding where to go and what we are doing for at least one choice anyway. That's a really, really good pull. And I never thought about this track in that way. Yeah, it does feel like a mission briefing, so to speak. And you kind of do get a little bit of that. So once you've picked your stage, whatever the next Mm -hmm. stage may be, you know, General Pepper comes over and he tells you what you're doing in that path, which kind of adds a little extra to a game that could have just been... Uh, straight run and gun, so to speak. They could have just dumped you into the stage and you could have gone on and there was no story to go behind it or anything like that. But I think that's what makes this game so masterful is that you do get these little tidbits where General Pepper is telling you, hey, by going to this area, we're going to stop Andros's mining facilities or something like that. Or right. by taking this way, we're actually going to sneak in the back door of Andros's lair. So good job on that. And it's just such a minor touch. And it really, I mean, if you pull it apart, it means absolutely nothing to the game, but it's still, it just adds that extra element of immersion into this style of game. Yeah. I'm not going to say that it adds nothing, but I get what you mean by that. Because I mean, even now when I play it, I skip that entire section Mm -hmm. where he's like, our troops are here. And I'm like, I don't care. Just put me in the R wing and let me go. And as a kid, I was largely that way too. I just wanted to fly the spaceship. That's all I wanted to do. It wasn't until my teens, probably until I actually got the story of Star Fox and actually understood it and appreciated it. Because there's not much story. All the characters in the game say the same thing over and over again, except for General Pepper. He's the only one that ever says anything in regards to a story. So it does add a little bit of lore and some depth to it. But honestly, you can take it out and throw it away. That's not the reason why we're playing the game. We're playing because it's fucking fun. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's what I mean. If you skip the entire story to this game, the only thing you're missing is that lore piece. Otherwise, it adds nothing more to the gameplay itself. No, nothing to the gameplay at all. It adds the lore if you want it, but honestly, you don't need it to enjoy the game. This this isn't a deep game. It's not as simple as Donkey Kong, but it's not as complex as Fable. So there we go. As per tradition, I'm going to call out your typo. Tell me what your number four is. Ah, fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) I just saw it too. You got to say it the way it's written. (laughs) 
like hell I do. <laughs> it is asteroid stage or asteroid field, as I always called it as a kid. I remember being sucked into the cockpit when this level starts and just going, whoa, because this stage is the first one that lets you slip into that first person perspective. And that blew my young brain. Depending on which path you take, this is the second level of the game where Corneria is a great introduction level. This one is definitely gets more down to business. The music shows this by being more serious and a bit darker. This is literally an asteroid field that you are navigating, and the music does a good job of setting up a more perilous tone. When the level starts and you initially get sucked into that first-person view, everything feels more intense, and I'm not sure really why. This isn't an amazing track by any stretch of the imagination, but this is the level that really got me addicted to this game, and I personally really enjoy it. to laugh whenever you put the Asteriod stage on here. I um, hate you <laughs> so much. If I didn't like my track more, I probably would have put this as well, just because of how frequently you have to hit it through, I think levels one and three both go through this. I can't remember if level two does or if it skips right to what mine is, but we both kind of had the same vibe because both of our number fours are out in the deep space kind of area. And I feel like the deep space tracks in this game are the ones that fit the most with the Star Fox theme of being out in space and dealing with a major villain who's trying to destroy the Star Fox team's home planet of Corneria. These ones were, to me, the ones that were on brand. This particular track actually invokes a very strong sense of adventure for me. And you hmm. couple that with the large amounts of objects that are just flying around on screen and it does give you that tense and perilous tone that you're talking about the one thing that you forgot to mention outside of things being kind of weird in first person view is how much more accurate you could be <laughs> now that you didn't have to like shoot underneath the view of your ship and you could actually see where your, your oh, yeah. shots were lining up that is one of the many things that I'm glad that they made available in 64 was no matter the level, you can always be in first person. And that would be the only way I would ever play because it is so much more accurate. And also to me, it's just more fun. 
that way because it does feel like you are in the cockpit of this thing flying around and doing stuff. You're right, because whenever I think about Star Fox, I don't think about Corneria. I think about the big space levels. This is what I love about these tracks and this game, honestly, is just going through, you're the pilot, and that real sense of adventure with it. This track doesn't give me any of that adventure vibes that you were kind of talking about. There is one later on my list that absolutely does, but we'll talk about that in a little bit because that one is a really good one. I think it's worth mentioning too that there were a few things in these space tracks that are specifically the levels themselves that really were bizarre. One of the things was the asteroids that would have the random mean face on them. Did you ever see those? Oh, oh, oh. I do. Do you really know what that is or no? Not the random ones. I know there's one particular one that shows up for what we're going to talk about later. Okay, that's the only one I knew about. Oh, yeah. There's a few more that show up a little later in the game through some of the some of the just random ones. And they actually home in on your your ship a little bit more. They're really bizarre. Oh, I vaguely remember something like that where I can see like that being a thing. Everything seems to hone in on your ship anyway. So why wouldn't an asteroid at this point? Yeah, there was that. There was some of the enemies that you would kill. I think particularly this one with like long legs that if you destroyed it, you would see the little pilot be ejected and fly towards you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of weird stuff that they added into this i'm sure to try and add more to that immersion piece but man it was weird it was weird but i liked it oftentimes important to note the pilot would be the same size if not bigger than the actual craft (laughs) itself was so there was a sizing issue there but and they were flat don't forget that they were (laughs) for whatever reason they did not render those pilots in the polygons like the rest of everything else so it was just this flat image that just flew at your screen Hold on, because now now I have to pick a gripe with you because you're expecting, we were just talking about having <laughs> to use imagination for the buildings, which were clearly just cubes with no <laughs> texture on them. And here's Peter being like, I don't see why they couldn't use the polygons to make it. I mean, it's Star Fox. The whole thing's nothing but polygon. You know, what would that end but up they being le- like? They left the white <laughs> outline on the image. <laughs> I know they left the white outline on the image. I don't care. Here's why they did, because it makes it show up in space. There you go. Design choice. God, that was a long time about my number four. What's yours? My number four is sector X and Z. And the reason they use both is because this song actually plays in both uh, sectors. One you can find on path two and one you can find on path three. I couldn't put together my list without including one track from the deep space levels in Star Fox. So like I said, you and I were kind of on the same vibe here for our number fours. In these levels, the game, as you mentioned, will allow you to go into a first person view, which as I've mentioned in the past, I would normally detest. But I actually really think a game like this thrives on a first person view just because of what I had mentioned before, which was the pure accuracy piece. Most of the times when you're Firing from the third person Arwing view, the way the camera sits and the way the ship moves around, it's sometimes really hard to aim. I remember as a kid being much better at aiming, but I imagine that just came with time from playing it so much. 
that you kind of got a feel for where your shots were going to go playing it. Now the first person view helped out so much. I'm glad you mentioned in 64 that you could use it because I wished it was available more often for whatever reason, they hard lock you out of it if you're not in the space stages. So Mm -hmm. very strange pick, but I'm glad that they give you more of that. I also, as a small aside, the auto lock feature that they add in 64 also helps with accuracy. Yes. (laughs) What I like about all of the outer space tracks is that they by far sound the most fitting for this game. I mentioned that with yours and I'm just reiterating it for the simple fact that it deserves to be mentioned again. This particular one almost gives me Star Wars vibes with how it's composed and meshes incredibly well with this setting. Like I was saying before, I was going to mention Star Wars, but all of the outer space tracks, they give me strong Star Wars vibes. And this one, I think, hits it probably the most. When I listened to it, I was just blown away at the similarities and wondered if they, I would love to be able to talk to the composer and be like, Hey, did you happen to pull your inspiration from star Wars? Was that your direction behind this? Because it feels like that quite a bit, but unfortunately the person who did this composition actually never made another game again. Like they never composed for any other games. looked it up and tried to find any other work that this person did and they have not touched a single game since wow yep it's bizarre it's the first game that we've covered so far where the musician composer has not done any other game works outside of the one that we're talking about what did they go on to like tv or film or something or do we even know i didn't look that far to see where their career led them I just know that as far as games go, the Hirasawa did not go on and do any other video games. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a first. That's really mind blowing to me. And I mean, I haven't been paying attention to video game soundtracks nearly as long as you. I've only been doing it for how many episodes are we in? 16 episodes. So a lot of this is learning for me on my end, but that seems really just odd and bizarre. When it comes to your track and these levels, again, the first person is where it's at. It's what we love about these particular levels. The deep space battles were always my kind of favorite levels, you know, just because of that. I can see what you were getting with the Star Wars vibes, although I disagree because I'm real. I have one that I really, really love more than my number four and your number four that I think does that a little bit better, but that's just my own opinion, and we'll talk about that later. I've rarely played through Sector X or Z. Now, 
64, once again, that is a completely different animal where I played through those levels a ton because they are over there as well. But I maybe heard this track twice, maybe three times before we listened to the soundtrack. Right. I definitely have played level two and level three less than I did level one. But recently I decided to go through all three just to make sure that what I was listening to kind of matched the area and everything else. When I take my notes, I like to know exactly where it's at. So that's the only reason why I've got a little more familiarity with it. I just went through it not too long ago. Yeah. And I did too. Obviously I didn't beat it, but even then I just did the main line. I did level one going through there and doing those where these stages are prevalent. Just to kind of refresh what my childhood memory was of this game, putting it into context, because honestly, based off the way I was playing earlier today and the way I've been playing this game, I don't know if I personally could have gone through and beaten it on some of the harder levels, at least not without a bit of practice. Because once again, as a kid, we were able to kill these things, particularly the bosses with relative ease, knowing where to aim and that kind of thing. But now some of that muscle memory has really gone away. So I do like this track and I get what you're saying about it. But this is another one of those tracks that I really completely forgot about until we ended up doing this. All right, Cody, let's hear what your number three is. My number three is Fortuna. I didn't remember this track at all, man. When this track first came on, my only note was, Hello, Sonic, to my old friend. This is a groovy track, man. There's no other way to describe it. It's just groovy as hell. This is a misplaced track to me because despite it being so good, it has no business being on a Star Fox soundtrack. Star Fox is a space adventure, and this track just sounds like a party. This sounds like something people could dance to instead of shooting incoming invaders. Having said that, this track is great. It's the bass in this track that actually drives this track for me and gives it that funky feel that I like so much. As out of place as this track feels, I'm so glad it exists because this is a very unique track. may surprise you but oh my god do i hate this track really so much do i hate this track why when i did my playthroughs of this game i actually thought that the stage was really cool there are interesting plant life that kind of grows out of the ground as you fly through and it's everywhere it's just all over the place and the planet's kind of colored in a nice i think it's a red hue at least i remember it being red 
I feel like it changes colors halfway through the stage, but that's neither here nor there. But they have this interesting mechanic in it where you go through and the objective of it is to switch this like weather trigger. And if you don't hit it, you kind of get stuck in like this infinite loop until you find it. And it's hidden behind one of the three gates that you pass. So you go through one gate has like a bomb. One gate has like a, the wing upgrade. And then one gate has the switch. But when I heard this track, not only does it not belong in Star Fox, but it doesn't even belong on this planet. There's just nothing about a groovy track that fits at all with anything that's going on right here. I understand why you would like it and why somebody would say that they would put it on a list as one of their favorite tracks. But it was like wrong place, wrong time, bro. It was like, <laughs> I, uh, no, no, no. I completely get it. You know, and that's why I said this doesn't belong in Star Fox. The only reason why it's on my list is because it's on the soundtrack. And technically, it's on the soundtrack. So it counts. And I get that. This yeah. is kind of like a when we were actually talking about Sonic 2, the song on my list that you didn't like because it, just didn't fit it was too slow for what sonic is this is kind of the same argument for that track yeah but i have no defending this one like i completely get what you're saying to me i like the track obviously because it's my number three but this is in no way star fox and to your point you were talking about the level something that i completely don't remember because it's been that long since i played that particular one Mm -hmm. i don't remember it So I couldn't even tell you if it fit into it. But overall, just knowing what Star Fox is, all Star Fox is, is an on-rail shooter. And this is not that. Yeah. Anything near it. So I get both arguments and I completely 100% agree. But I still like the song, so it's on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm not knocking where it's at on your list or that it's on your list at all, anything like that. But I listened to it first. And then played the stage later. And at no point in time did it ever change my mind. I tried really hard to like every track on the soundtrack because I am very fond of the game. But I just could not get on board with this one for any reason. Even as a standalone track, I think it's okay. I think it's got a lot of interesting vibes that would come from a sound chip like this. It's something that you wouldn't typically hear. I was trying to rack my brain on a game that it would fit into and I couldn't come up with one. So it's unique in that regard. I don't think that anything I've heard really matches something like this, but it just didn't jive with me for some reason. And I think that's kind of more the lens that I looked at this track from because I don't have memories of it. To me, this was just me listening to a track and do I like the track or not? Obviously, I know what Star Fox is. We've been talking about our love for this game. So that's why I completely agree. It doesn't fit at all. But there was just something about it that when I was listening to the entirety of the soundtrack, I like to try and do it all in one sitting if I can. At a certain point, not in a bad way, but because some of these tracks are similar, they can kind of run together. Like there are two tracks that I almost confused which one is which asteroid being one of them but this one when i was listening to it in a bulk sitting like that it was distinct and it definitely stood out more than the others if it's for a good way or a bad way 
that's personal interpretation of it. To me, it was kind of like a welcome change almost on the soundtrack itself, but I just liked it. So there we go. This is more of a me style song. And I think we've established that over the course of the episodes that we've done so far. Why don't you tell me about your number three? And I am definitely open to gunfire here because my number three is the Macbeth stage. My notes for this pretty much line up almost exactly with yours. Admittedly, level three, which is the path that this planet is on, is the path I've taken the least purely because it's incredibly difficult and you have to play one extra stage to get to Andros. Because of that, I certainly don't have a lot of familiarity with it, except for some of the runs I just did leading up to this episode. But I don't feel like this song really jives with the rest of the game as much as many of the other tracks do. For this particular track, I just really enjoy it. Same as how you felt about Fortuna. It is fun. It has some really groovy undertones with the bass driving it along. And of all the songs, this one sounds the most like the same kind of instruments from another game, Super Metroid. So the area that I'm particularly talking about is Brinstar Depths, I believe it's called. When I heard this one, I think that's what made me gravitate more towards this than maybe something like Fortuna is because I adore the Super Metroid soundtrack. So when I heard it, heard the instruments were kind of similar, I was like, oh, this kind of pulls on some strings in another area of my gaming music life. So maybe that's why I enjoy this one more. hypocrite. I know, I know. <laughs> this almost made my list. And that it, it almost did. <laughs> made it at, at number three. It was so weird because after I got done with my notes and everything, you know, and I had my list and it was finalized and in, I went to go look at your notes to kind of figure out what was underneath there, what was hiding. And I was like, all right, well, it's either going to be Macbeth or Fortuna that he's talking about. And sure enough, I was right because what's interesting about both of our number threes is the way I feel about my number three is the exact same way I feel about your number three. And I don't know why that is. I mean, they are groovy. That's the way that we both describe them and they are different. Do either one of them necessarily belong in Star Fox? No, but again, these are just good tracks to me. The only other thing I wanted to know is your reference to a super Metroid. I haven't played Super Metroid either. Jesus Christ, Cody. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I The only reason I don't 
hold you accountable to these is because you and I have talked a lot in the past, long before this podcast was ever even an idea in our heads that you got a Super Nintendo late, I think, right? No, I got one when I was a kid. Like I said, I remember playing this in fourth grade, but oh God. We had discussions, something about the fact that you were you were much more attached to your N64 than you were your Super Nintendo. Okay, that, that kind of checks out because it's weird. The Super Nintendo was my first console. Yeah. I didn't grow up with an NES or anything. So my attachment to the N64 was more, this is my first quote-unquote next-gen experience. This is my first gaming upgrade. That's always been my memory there. Oddly, weird little side note, Star Fox 64 was the game I got with that system one year for my birthday. But no, I've always had an attachment to the Super Nintendo just because, I mean, barring the Commodore 64, this was my intro to game, you know, was going over to friend's house and playing it. But I'm not sure why you would pick one or the other because, I mean, like you said, you and I have been friends for a while. So it's weird how your brain is putting things together over all these years. Yeah, I think actually when I'm I'm mistaking is the NES to SNES. I think it was the fact that you did not have an NES, so you have no attachment to that. And the Super Nintendo was your first real gaming platform that was yours and that you dug into, that kind of thing. But I would be curious to see, just in general across all gamers, do they tend to love their first upgrade more? Because I had an NES growing up, but I don't love the NES like I love the SNES. I would die for that console <laughs> and you like the NES NES rather, but you have more fondness for the N64 for that same reason. It's almost like your upgrade system, right? It's you, it's almost like you were getting into your own with the SNES, but then you really came on to your own with the N64 kind of thing. Yeah. Everything that you're saying actually does check out and your memory is right. It's just that the systems were wrong because I did get my NES in its original box still to this day. Much later. Much, much later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. I knew I was there. I just, I had some of the details mixed up, but I'm I'm straight now. Yeah, that would be interesting. That'd be really interesting for people who are, grew up with like a PlayStation 3 to PlayStation 4. That would be interesting because I mean, you and I, that's par for the course, but People listening, let us know which system are you attached to more, your original or your upgrade? Because that's a that's an interesting question that I hadn't even thought about before. Yeah, an unofficial question of the episode, but it's going to persist forever because I I am very curious now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And obviously we love both, but as we get older, the memories kind of grow and that kind of thing. So, yeah, sorry about that tangent, everyone. We love video games around here. (laughs) Yeah. We are all over the place tonight. Dear God. I know. I thought this was going to be a short episode just because we had talked about this before we started recording. Star Fox is a very straightforward game and our notes on it are pretty straightforward. But yeah, a lot of tangents tonight. Par for the course for you and I when we talk games, I think. Yeah. And we haven't talked in a long time. So sorry, everyone. Yeah. Back on track. Let's hear what your number two is. Oh, Christ, that's where we are? Okay. (laughs) Yep. My number two is Space Armada. When I think of Star Fox, this is one of the tracks I think about. This is just an epic track, man. 
in this level, you and your crew are attempting to take down an entire armada in this giant space battle. The odds are against you, but this track rarely makes you feel that way. This track has a certain almost determination to it that's hard to put into words. The timpani and the horns in this track make you feel like you can do this mission and really encourage you to put your all into it. This is a really hard track to describe, but it is an absolute perfect score for this level. Aside from some minor differences, I feel like all of the space themes are pretty similar, more or less, except for this one, which really feels like the epic space fight of your life. What's interesting about saying that is that this is not like late in the game. The Space Armada is pretty close to the middle of the game, if I remember correctly. I think it's like stage three or four on the first level. It really does feel like the definition of Star Fox to me. My only gripe with all of the space tracks is wishing they had a little more identity, just like this one does. Of all of them, this one stands out on its own two feet the most. So I like that you have it so high on your list. Taking all of that aside and just looking at the the stage itself, this was really unique in the fact that this is the first time where in order to take out the space armada it requires fox to actually fly inside of these little Mm -hmm. crafts which was a really cool little sequence again i go back to star wars in this piece because it's like the time whenever the what are they the x wings X-Wings, yes. Yes, the X-Wings have to fly into the little like crevasse of the Death Star in order to like shoot that little thing. Uh, can you tell I'm a big Star Wars buff? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's actually an exhaust port, but either way, Ashley's going to let us have it on this. I know, she's going to rip me apart. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, it, remi- it reminded me of that and that kind of sequence. So you fly into this little spaceship dodge a bunch of things that are inside of the ship different doors and stuff like that you have to shoot some open that kind of thing and then you get to the core of it blast it open and then you fly out the other side all of that just really lends itself well to making this track really fit with the whole theme of the game and if i were to encapsulate Star Fox into one stage one track i think it would be this one yeah i obviously completely agree and 
shout out to what you were just talking about when you're flying in. That was so cool. I didn't even care that it took me out of the first person perspective. I was just glad that it flew the damn thing for me because could you imagine like having <laughs> to actually fly into that? We would never have beaten the game. And so that's one of my strongest memories and that track also because that's almost a separate track. Earlier when I was saying that I get two tracks confused, it's actually Space Armada and Asteroid that I always flip around in my head and I don't know why because despite being base levels, they are far from being close to one another in terms of what they are. This is a giant armada that is coming to invade our galaxy. And who do we send? A team of four people to take on an armada. And there was always just something that felt hopeless about the situation, but our characters have such a determination that really kind of shines through in this track. And that to me is kind of what carries it. If I'm getting way too deep about it. I was going to make a joke and be like, yeah, but did you die though? <laughs> when you said there's only <laughs> four people, but then I realized that you, you actually might've died. Wait, 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 no, there is only four. No, no. It was just joking at the fact that there's only four people. And I was like, yeah, but did you die though? It's okay. It's fine. Oh, okay. The, okay. Po the point is sailing <laughs> over your head, like an R wing. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be a fun one. <laughs> Why don't you tell me about your number two? My number two, which I'm very excited to talk about is the Corneria theme song. No matter which path you take on your adventure, it always starts on Corneria. And this particular track is pretty much synonymous and iconic with the Star Fox games for me. This is one of those tracks that I, I honestly, I struggled with trying to explain why it's so appealing. Maybe it's the fact that it's the first song you hear no matter what. And I've heard this song so many times Maybe it's the fact that you feel kind of a sense of duty as you pilot your R-Wing looking to stop the menace of the galaxy, the one and only Andros. But whatever it is, it feels really good with the kind of game that Star Fox ends up being. And I don't know, is this something about this track? It just, it really stands out hard for me.
let me try and help you put this into words a little bit or and I, I heavy emphasis on the try because Corneria is my number one with a bullet. This is the track that all of us heard the most when we were playing this game. This is the first level. This is Corneria. Every time I hear this track, at least for me personally, it takes me back to those nights with my dad. I like how light it starts as you are flying out of the base and then that guitar comes in. The track is energetic and not too serious. It does a great job of setting the tone for this game. If I didn't know and just listened to this track, I think it'd be for like a Top Gun game or something. I don't know why I make that connection, though, because I've never seen that movie in my life. There's just something that makes this sound like it's an Air Force style track or a military style track. I'm having trouble describing it, but it all has to do with that guitar. Something else I really love about this track is something I don't typically pick up on, which is the bass. The bass plays really well with the guitar and honestly quite awesome. While my memories make me heavily biased on this track, this is a Super Nintendo classic track to this day. Yeah, I wanted to note too that when I mentioned that on the Switch version of Starlink, they have the Fox McCloud as your pilot and the R-Wing as your ship that you get exclusive to that console. In that game, you have a particular little gauge that fills up that lets you do kind of your special. When you execute it, one of the other pilots, either Falco, Slippy, or Peppy, pop down out of the sky and they come down and I'm sorry, maybe it's all three, but either way, they all come down, barrage the enemies with like a bunch of shots. And this song is what plays. It's a much more yeah much more updated version but it's it's this song and i think that says a lot about this track i mean it really is just there's no other word for it it's iconic i hear this song and all i have to do is hear that beginning part for like a second and i can tell you that it's the corneria theme it stands out so much and is so well written I couldn't have picked a better song to start a game like this with. I think it says a whole lot about this track that, and this is mild spoilers, but not really. There is an actual Star Fox theme on this soundtrack, and that track did not make it onto either of our lists, but Corneria did, and very highly. Your number two and my number one. This is just what one of the most iconic tracks that we tie to this game. You know, even in Smash, I think this is what plays more than the Star Fox theme. Granted, you can kind of customize that in Ultimate a good bit. But man, there's just something so good to kind of put you in the mood to play an on-rails shooter where you're flying and being a pilot. Yeah, I didn't note any of the instruments specifically. I think it kind of for me, it kind of all came without saying, but when you mentioned the the guitar and bass that kind of work alongside of each other, it really does add so much to this. When I think of space songs or songs about games that deal with outer space, it's, it's one of two things. You either have to have that heavy metal guitar or you have to have the the marching drums that I was talking about before with the heavy bass drums kind of supporting it. One of those two tracks, I think, fit the bill. And I think that's why I hated Fortuna so much. <laughs> it, didn't have, it didn't have either. Just one more time. One more time. Just dig it right in there. Squeeze All it right. in and twist the knife, right? 
Yeah, right at the end. I, I don't mind at all. All right, man. Tell me your number one. My number one is Venom Base Stage One. So the Venom Base is broken out into two parts. And the first part is, I think, by far more superior than the second. Is there really a more fitting song for the last stage of a game full of chaos and more crap to dodge and shoot than you've run into at this point? Much like Corneria always being the start of the game, Venom is always the last stage no matter which path you take. The Star Fox fandom page states that Venom is a, quote, a harsh place with only decaying remnants of civilization, a cruel planet with conditions intolerable to most life, end quote. Taking out the fact that you're fighting the final boss, Andros here, the music captures the feeling of the moment being very dire, as if everything has led you to this point and you need to get in and out as quickly as possible or you'll risk an untimely death. I cannot emphasize enough when I say that this level is chaotic, I mean it. There is so much crap going on throughout this stage that I don't think I've made it to Andros with more than a quarter of my health because it, it's that bad. is terrible at the end that whole structure where you have to beat one boss and then go directly in and try to beat andros like screw you i mean that's stage two but venom in particular can just go die somewhere i hate venom because my experience was very much like yours yeah it's when a it very long stage i i think it's the longest because there's no checkpoints in between like if you die you have to start all the way back at the the last checkpoint that you hit, which is the middle of the first part of the stage. That is a long time to go without any health. No health and no upgrades either. So if you're like me and you get super damaged, you oh, yeah. are screwed. Yep. I mean, there are a couple of items like in the tunnel on the way down to Andros, but shoot, I died before I reached them. It's insanely difficult, this track or this level, not track. I'm dumb. I never in a million years would have put this on your list, especially at number one. And I don't know why. I mean, I like this track. It's not on my list, but I like this track. But I just didn't peg this for you in particular. This is a very dire track for your most part. And I do agree with you. But there is something different that I took away from it, which is the trumpet, which to me, the trumpet was always us. This was always Fox. The trumpet kind of makes it feel a bit more upbeat and gives it a little bit more hope instead of the direness, which is all the other instruments that are in this track. 
one of my notes here is that this is probably one of the darker tracks and obviously one of the longest tracks on the soundtrack just because it is, I mean, I understand that stage one and stage two, but they are similar. I think it fits the overall essence of Star Fox more than, more than the Star Fox theme does. Yeah, I think that's true about almost any song on our list. I mean, not Meteor, like not the boss of Meteor, but, or Fortuna, I'll give you that. Or Macbeth. <laughs> or Macbeth. Any of the other, yeah, any of the other ones on our list that we haven't said already that don't belong in Star Fox. I mean, they, they're all better, quote unquote, Star Fox tracks than the theme, which I think really, if you think about it, says something about the quality of the soundtrack as a whole, because you and I, one of us will put a OG theme on our list whenever we're doing these. It's like almost inevitable. It's either going to be me or it's going to be you. The fact that one didn't make this list, you know, and we have Venom and Corneria as our number ones, that says everything that you need to know about this soundtrack. Yeah, it absolutely does. There's not too much more to say about it. It's just, it made my number one because it was a phenomenal track. And I think it did really well with solidifying kind of where you were at that point in the game. Yeah. At that point in the game, I mean, you're right at the end and you know it and this game or this track lets you know, it doesn't pull any punches. It is a darker track for this hell that you're about to endure and hopefully survive. So it's an amazing track for that stage. And I really like it. Yes, indeed. All right, Cody, we made it through another list, man. Holy cow. <laughs> I know. That was a long one. Yeah. Lots of tangents on that one. I was not expecting us to run off on some of those bits. I think what we stayed on your number four for ages. We did. But do you know what? We love talking about video games and about music and the games that we love. So hopefully some of that will make it in the edit. And if you guys don't like it, then sorry, we forgot that we actually had a podcast to do. We were just two friends talking for a bit. <laughs> That's right. Do you have any final thoughts or any kind of wrap up or anything like that before we seal this up for good? Yeah, I did. There are two tracks that I almost put on the list, but I couldn't in good conscience because they are two levels that until the other day doing research, I didn't know existed, which is Black Hole and what is it? Out of this dimension or out of this universe? It's one or the other. Yeah, out I of had, this dimension. Yeah. Now, Black Hole is always on the map. It's always on the map screen and there's no path to it. I assumed kind of as a kid that it was an actual level, but I never figured out how to actually get to it. So in my head, it always just was on the map for no reason. And then out of this dimension is a completely separate level that's not on the map. And it's a secret level with a weird ass boss that we'll probably talk about here in a second. But I had never heard those tracks before. And I almost put them on my list just so we could talk about them. But then I'm like, oh, wait, we have a wrap it up section where we can talk about this. Had you ever experienced either of these tracks? I have. 
the black hole stage I actually did know about and have been to in my childhood and more recently. I don't know how I knew about the black hole. I imagine it was just because of the fact that I had played level one so much that you were bound to run. It's like statistically you're going to run into it at some point to get to the black hole stage. You had to shoot three golden meteors that existed that were lined up with a bunch of gray ones and then fly through that spot in order to activate it. And then once you've done that for three of them, there would be a meteor with a face on it. And I know I talked about the meteors with the face before, but this one's different. This is in this area. You'd never see a meteor with a face ever. Whereas later in the game, they throw them in as actual enemies that are like the other meteors, but kind of home in on you a little bit. So if you destroy this meteor, it opens up a black hole rift that you fly through and then you end up in this very trippy stage. It ends up being a shortcut and it's the only time in the game where you can jump pads. So if you started off on level one, get to the black hole, beat the black hole, then it actually drops you off on sector Z of level two. And like you said, you see it on the map. So you're always very curious about, Hey, how do you end up getting there? But the out of this dimension world, I had never gotten to up until yesterday or no, this morning, actually, I was doing some research on the game and looking at the different levels and things like that. And I saw this hyperlink that lets you click on out of this dimension. I'm like, what is this? So when I dug it up and saw that it was like this whole area that I didn't even know existed in the game and people actually consider it the quote unquote alternate ending to Star Fox, I had to go see it. I'm like, I can't love this game as much as I do and have like a whole part of it I've never touched before. Man, was it weird. Yeah, I saw the video and I was trying to explain these two tracks uh, and how to get to them to my dad, he was like, there's no way in hell we ever would have found that if we were looking for it. And I was like, I know I can kind of see kind of like you accidentally stumbling across the black hole. But what you have to do in order to get to out of this dimension, nobody could find that. I guarantee nobody listening to this ever found that on their own because it is so weird and specific. And I remember I haven't gotten there, but the level itself if I can remember correctly from this video is a bunch of paper and a bunch of paper airplanes that don't shoot you or anything. It's just kind of crap for you to kill. And then the boss is a giant slot machine where a track plays. And part of it is when the saints go marching in. Yeah. It's, it's (laughs) I have no clue. It is the most bizarre and trippy Easter egg, if you can call it that, that I have ever seen in my life. Just to reference, in case you are interested in looking and don't feel like searching for a video, the only way to get to out of this dimension is by taking level three and getting to 3 2, which is the asteroid field. And in this part of the asteroid field, there are huge meteors. Mm -hmm. And the reason Cody is saying that you wouldn't find this by accident is because when you shoot the first meteor, it makes the little like pink noise that makes it know that it's an indestructible object. Right. But the Mm. second meteor is not. 
So if you shoot it enough, even though it's making that noise that it cannot, it spawns this weird creature that starts flying about with like an egg that flies out and hatches it. It's the strangest thing, just so weird. And then when you see this creature, you're not supposed to shoot it. You're supposed to run into it. And that's what takes you into this like trippy world. The only way to beat the slot machine is to get the jackpot. So triple sevens. And I can tell you that I spent about 20 minutes trying to do it and could not do it. So I have a safe state right now where I'm going to try it again and see uh-huh. if I can get to the end. But I have no idea. I have no clue what happens once you actually beat it and get the jackpot. But yeah, it's that's how you win. I do. And you are in for a trip. Oh, boy. <laughs> Lots of 3D font is what I'll tell you. But yeah, that was I was floored. I was like, I'm in my 30s and I just found out something brand new about one of my favorite games. New levels that I had never played. Grand, they're throwaway levels. The black hole doesn't even have a boss like all the others do traditionally. But yeah, that was just something that I think we had to talk about this. And it was worthwhile because I know your reaction was very similar to mine. You know, when we were listening to the soundtrack as we went through, we're going through and there's all these tracks. And yeah, I mean, we do have Macbeth and Fortuna that are a little bit odd, but they're still in the, the realm of how this sounds musically. But these tracks, I'll probably throw one in here just to let you hear exactly how wild they are like they are so off base for this game that it's not even it's not even like well i don't even know how you want to call it it's not even like it's music yeah really like all this stuff is everything that we picked even fortuna and Macbeth, they're actually composed tracks and i know these other ones are too but they just sound so sloppy yeah and i think part of that is because of kind of the dimension that they're in is kind of supposed to be that way. But these are the only two levels for it. And it it just, they don't fit with the soundtrack at all. It was almost like somebody was just like, hey, I'm having a little bit of fun with the super effects chip. Let's just throw this in here and see if somebody finds it later. They were high on LSD when they did that, apparently, because there's there's no other explanation for these levels to exist. However, I will say that as an adult in his 30s, fighting out something new, 
that was really cool to do. And it happened early in the soundtrack because the soundtrack was in alphabetical order. So it didn't take me that long to get to the black hole. Yeah, I agree. It was a nice little surprise. Who would have thought 25 years later that I would find something new in Star Fox? Yeah, it was really cool. All right. Well, we're going to finish up. We do actually have a question of the episode this time around. It's a super simple one. I didn't want to go to him. I thought about doing one about the bosses, but decided to keep it a little more straightforward this time around. But our question this episode is who was your favorite pilot? Not Peppy. Not Peppy. (laughs) Not Peppy. And then it's hard for me to pick between Falco and Slippy because they're polar opposites of each other. Mm -hmm. Falco is this ace pilot who gets mad when you need help. And then Slippy is the annoying little guy who always needs help. I'll go with Slippy. My initial gut reaction is Fox, right? And I know that seems like a, a throwaway pick, but I like the kind of leadership that they give him. Even somebody like Falco, who is kind of a dick throughout the entire game, in any regard, he's just, he's always just angry for some reason. It doesn't seem to ever phase Fox. That kind of attitude persists throughout all of the games. The reason I have a hard time with it is because my gut reaction is actually Pepe, but that's because there's bias there. I really love watching him go throughout the different games. So as I guess a small spoiler, not all the pilots are always persistent throughout each of the games. I believe actually Slippy ends up going off to do his own thing in like communications or something like that. Or maybe it's Pepe who does, I forget. But Pepe, he grows old with the team and you start seeing him age throughout the different games and stuff. So I, I really love the fact that it shows him kind of being there through all of it. But if I'm talking strictly Star Fox, I do love Fox. I think that his role and the way that he talks in the game is just, it's awesome. Okay. I didn't think about Fox because <laughs> I am Fox. Does that make sense? You are yeah. Fox McCloud. So I, I just assumed the others so that's why I went Slippy. Of course, it's going to be Fox if I can pick Fox. <laughs> I mean, um, he is a pilot. <laughs> I know. So amending that slightly, um, I'll tell you the reason why I didn't pick Peppy is, and this is going to be weird and it gets into lore and future episodes and that kind of stuff when we eventually cover some of the other Star Fox games. But the reason why I said no was because he's more of the father figure to Fox in a lot of ways, you know, a surrogate father figure. At least that's kind of the vibe I got from him, which I really respect and I like, and I like relationships like that. I mean, I love Uncharted and that's all that game is for the most part, story-wise. The reason why I respect that about the character, but then when, spoilers, Fox's dad comes back or we see him again, that whole thing felt odd because he never really came back. I don't know if that was a ghost or what. That was something in Star Fox 64, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. 
Yeah. So that just kind of threw that whole dynamic off because I wasn't really sure what happened. So that was just like a me personally thing. I'm assuming that Fox's dad is still dead. But anyways, that I just couldn't pick Peppy, but I did respect who the character was. I think it's really saying something about these characters that as little dialogue as they actually have, and most of it's acting asking for help, that we actually care and know so much about them. Mind your own business, Fox. <laughs> no, I think that's cool. So if you want to answer the question of the episode, you can, of course, do it on Twitter. You can tweet us at Deep Base Podcast, and we'll be happy to engage with you and talk with you about your favorite pilot. If you want, we have a brand new Discord, which has actually been hopping a little bit. We've got quite a few people in there that are chatting away about the episodes and things like that. And we'd love to have you and talk about them as well. You can find that Discord at discord.deepbasepodcast.com. Just click on it. And if you already have a Discord account, it should link you right in. I think it's it. I don't think I have any other touch-up stuff. Anything from you? Yeah, just shout out to everyone in Discord who clearly like my picks better than Peter's. You guys are the real homies and I appreciate it. Honest to God, man, I'm getting hammered in there. <laughs> what the hell? I don't think really anybody has agreed with any of my picks. And you know what? That's fine. I'm going to sit on my island and listen to my music all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> you do that. Population one. Meanwhile, I'll have friends. Oh, wait, I don't like people. This isn't working out well. <laughs> All right. And on that happy note, we're going to go ahead and head up out of here. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Thanks to everybody who did join the Discord early and have been joining in. Please be sure to, if you're listening to this and are not part of the Discord, please join us. We love talking about this stuff. Uh, you can go there, submit some questions, give us suggestions, anything like that. There's a bunch of different things to do. Just stop on by, say, hey, let us know what you think. And also super quick shout out to the reviews that are coming in on iTunes. That is also super helpful. Yeah. So if you have time and you like the podcast and are listening on iTunes, please be sure to write us a review. Let everybody else know that's the only way that iTunes will actually rank us. Otherwise we're not doing anything for Apple. So they don't give a shit about us. So. <laughs> it's mutual. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And that's it. We are heading out of here for now. We will see you again in two weeks. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye guys.